was born from my own struggles, just like many other people. It was born from realizing that many of the people I was coaching, as soon as they got their confidence and they believed in themselves, became completely different athletes. I mean, night and day. And, you know, parents would ask me, why are they improving so quickly? It's belief and it's so key. And so I said, all right, I need to have a book that really focuses on this piece. This is the Reform Sports Project, a podcast about restoring healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. Hi, this is Nick Bonacore from the Reform Sports Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Kate Lavelle, Wall Street Journal bestselling author, sought-after keynote speaker, and former NCAA lacrosse coach. Kate's latest book, Superpower, was published in 2022 and encourages readers to value new perspectives and viewpoints, overcome self-doubt, and unleash their authentic greatness. The former Vice President of Leadership Development for John Gordon Companies, Kate and I discuss why being unique is your superpower, teaching kids to celebrate things that make them feel fulfilled, and why coaches should always deliver feedback in a way that builds, not breaks. I got another phenomenal guest. She wears many hats, like a lot of us do, but I mean, I visualize her with like 10 different hats on her head for the amount of stuff that she does. She's an author, keynote speaker. Uh, former college coach, sports mom, just an all-around badass, super pumped to have her, Kate Lavelle. Kate, thanks so much for hopping on. Hey, awesome. Thanks. Glad to be back. Well, listen, I, I, I know you've been very, very busy over the last several years, you know, creating just so much content, but also authoring a new book. I believe it came out last year called Superpower. Um, and what I love is, and I really want you to get into it because, you know, it's something I think a lot of us human beings deal with, but particularly, you know, athletes or people that are trying to achieve and, and outperform or overperform. Talk about really overcoming self-doubt. And I know for me, I deal with self-doubt, you know, as a father of six, a coach, you know, entrepreneur and all that. I deal with self-doubt daily, sometimes for God's sakes, minute by minute. You know, you're having these battles in your head. So what inspired you know, you to pen this book and, uh, you know, kind of get into that for us. Yeah. You know, there was a couple of things that came through this. And I think so many people identify, you know, with what you're saying. Self-doubt is something that creeps in and can get us when we least expect it, uh, get us when we need it to stay away the most. And, you know, the idea that we set our own limits is really hard to wrap our head around um, because it feels like there's so many things in our way. And it's so key to just kind of look and remember the things that we accomplish that we never could have imagined that we would have accomplished. And, and maybe it happens right away or maybe it's through a whole bunch of, you know, milestones that we get there. But we really are capable of so much more than what we really know. And so the book is really it was born from my own struggles, just like many other people, it was born from realizing that many of the people I was coaching are, um, as soon as they got their confidence and they believed in themselves, became completely different athletes. I mean, night and day. And, you know, parents would ask me, what are you doing at practice? You know, why are they improving so quickly? And, and it was, it's belief. Uh, and it's so key. And so I said, all right, I need to have a book that really focuses on this, this piece. Um, and the other part of it was, you know, during COVID, I was in Minneapolis. I wasn't in sunny Florida like I am now. Um, and I was there during the George Floyd um, incident that was going on and the city's burning. And I mean, it was just insane. All of the, you know, there was just so much going on and a lot of heated conversations. And what I realized is we don't know how to argue anymore. <laughs> you know, like we, we cannot have conflict without it destroying relationships. And, you know, great relationships are born of conflict. 
you know, it is a gift to have someone else who questions what you think and you question what they think and being able to join those together and get a better picture of of the world. And so um, the story, it's another fable. I think people love to read fables. I like to read fables. They make you feel good um, and they make you think. So this is uh, it's a fable about a boy named Trent who is very sensitive. Um, he was getting bullied about um, his ears, really, is what he's getting bullied about. So he is he goes from school to school as his parents move around, and he finally decides, I'm never getting bullied again. I'm going to blend in. I'm going to be ordinary, and that's going to fix my problem. And, of course, he uh, he figures out through the story that that does not fix anything, <laughs> you know, and, and he learns to embrace himself, and um, there's all these fun lessons along the way and really unique characters. And there's, you know, a teacher that teaches the class how being unique is your superpower and to learn to embrace that as well as the uniqueness in others. And I introduced a word in that book, my, my new favorite word, which is inimitable, uh, which is really hard to say, but it means um, so good, so unusual that you're impossible to be copied. And I thought, man, that's amazing. If you could just embrace everything that's different about yourself, um, I think that's really powerful. And I, you know, I've been talking forever, so I'll, I'll give, throw you back the floor. But um, really, you know, the, the big key is that belief part. And, the, um, you know, and if you want, I can touch on the, the are you a giraffe part, which is really what, what comes behind um, how you grab that belief. First of all, I love when, when guests start talking about things that I not only believe in, but also I've experienced. It kind of makes the hairs on my body stand up. I'm like, oh, man, this gives me the chills. Um, what I want to circle back to is you mentioned – the conflict, right? You talked about having discussions or having conversations that challenge you. What it made me think of when you brought that up was a coach and an athlete relationship. And what I'd love to ask you, because you've obviously been both, uh, you're also a parent, but I was watching March Madness. I, I got it for a minute. I'm thinking about how, you know, I wish I can go back in time and be a college athlete and have uh, the, the, the mind that I do now, right. The experiment, like we all do, right. The, the maturity yeah. to be able to take the criticism and apply it, you know, cause I have my kids and I'm dealing with that all the time, but to not take that personally, you know, like I watch some of these coaches interact with their, with their athletes and some are coaching them, you know, harder than others or whatever, but the kids, most of the time I see are receptive. And it made me think like, wow, there are so many times I can look back and especially when I was younger, a coach would, I don't want to say criticize me, but even just correct me and not, not in a, uh, uh, like I did something wrong way. I'm saying like, make me adjust like a, a part of my stance or my swing or whatever on the baseball field. And I would take it so personally. And I was, you know, I was just immature, but how do you take that as a coach, right? Which may be, a, I guess, a conflict and, and help kids understand that you're trying to help them versus, you know, being critical of them. Is there a way at a younger age to be able to reach kids in that way in a positive way where they don't take it so personally? Yeah, you know what? There really is. And it took me a long time to figure it out. Um, but once you understand how to deliver your message, and that's, you know, that's a big theme behind what I've been doing for a really long time, which is build, not break. And to ask yourself in everything you do, is this going to build or is it going to break? Is it going to build my relationship with them, build their motivation, their belief, their excitement, um, you know, build them as a, as an athlete, as a person, or is it going to break those things down? And so when you deliver feedback, it's so important that it comes from a belief standpoint um, and, and that the feedback is about the skill and not the person. And there needs to be a very clear distinction. So when you're talking to somebody, you know, and you're trying to give them a correction, you need to tell them, Hey, 
you know, you're so powerful, you're so strong in your upper body. I mean, think about a coach that ever said something like that to you and then gave you a correction and you're still glowing from the praise. Uh, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Genuine, honest praise. When they tell you, you know, wow, you're really strong. You could, you know, you could nail this ball. If you can just get your arms back a little farther, I bet you're going to rip this thing. You know, then you, you feel like you're being given a gift. And, and it's all in a matter of phrasing. The problem comes in that, you know, as coaches, we're stressed, you know, we're overwhelmed. We didn't have time to plan. We've had a crazy day, you know, and we're coming into this. Um, and it's hard to have the patience to do that. And so I really encourage coaches to take five minutes and transition. So, you know, if it has to be sitting in the car, that's fine. If it's on the way over and you play something, you know, that's that's going to shift your mindset. So leave the day that you've been having and enter the practice as the coach that you want to be, you know, as the coach that your athletes need you to be. Set your intentions um, no matter what happens in this practice today. If, you know, the fields are muddy, if half the team is sick or can't make it, or if, if they're just not having a great practice day, if I accomplish these three things, I will consider this practice a success today. And if I feel like it's a success and it's things that I can control, then I am going to be in a better mindset to coach and to lead. So part of it's get your head straight. And the other part is make sure your delivery is really um, on point. You know, my, my three questions that I ask before giving feedback is one, is it true? Two, do they need to hear it? And that's typically where most people stop and then they just unleash, which is you know terrifying because usually it is true and they do need to hear it. Um, but the third is the way that I'm delivering it. Is it going to build or break? And uh, when you have those three things, I feel like you, you build confidence in your athletes. And you know, as a coach, confident athletes who want to learn, who aren't hesitating, who jump in, who always want to be first in line and can't wait to go and work hard. You know, we want that. So anything we can do to to make that happen should be, you know, first on your list. As you're talking, I'm, I'm, I start thinking back on my own experience. But I, 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 you know, you talk about unlocking your potential or people always say, trust the process. You know, I say it too. We got to trust the process. Well, part of the growth and developmental process and anything, whether it's through athletics or just being a parent, trying to help your kids, you know, become the best citizens they can be. Um, there's going to be failure along the way. And what I find, and I look back on my own experiences, I took failures so hard when I was younger, you know, when I was in my, especially in my teenage years, you know, especially if you're one of the better athletes as a kid, usually you're like on every team, you're like one of the best, right? So, so failures are almost few and far between. It's only when the intensity and competition raises and you're around better athletes that are more like you, where you start really being challenged. But trusting the process also means understanding that part of getting better means failing and struggling. What's the best way to help, let's say, teenage or even younger, let's say 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old kids who are coming into that time where they're starting to be, you know, let's say your kid is a, I'm use wrestling for an example because my, my older boys wrestle, you know, they're, they're in local tournaments and they're dominating, but then we start traveling to more regional or whatever where the intensity level picks up and they're being pushed more. And then they're shocked, right? Like, oh my God, I just got my tail kicked. Like, what did this come from? Like, how do you help them understand, like, this is part of it. Is it all just delivery? Or do sometimes you just got to get thrown in the fire and kind of figure things out? Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I mean, kids, kids really are learning everything from us. And 
I spent a lot of my time when I first started writing about sports, um, and, and it really was driven by my own kids. You know, that's why I got super interested in how do I do this. Um, and so I started just going to the park, and this might sound creepy, but I was observing coaches and taking notes. Um, and I was watching the kids' faces, and I was seeing what came of it. And it was just really fascinating. You know, what we celebrate, they celebrate. And it's it's unbelievable, or maybe not unbelievable, how often we are inconsistent and we're in a conflict with ourselves. So we're telling them, you know, I celebrate effort. I celebrate, you know, you trying something even if you fail. And, you know, we say all the right things. Um, but what are we handing out awards for? What are we at the end of the game? Who are we giving that ball to? Who, you know, who are we calling out? It's the person who gets the stats, who gets the points. So we're saying this one thing is important, but we're actually celebrating something else. And so when they look at failure, they're looking at, I'm not accomplishing the things that my coach celebrates. They're not listening to what you say. They're listening to, you know, they're watching what you do. And if you switch that around, especially this, you know, for the younger kids and you start handing out, you know, the ball to the person who put the best effort forward or the teammate that was encouraging somebody on the sideline or the, you know, the person that wanted to be first or, you know, whatever that is, the person who set up someone else to make a great play. When you celebrate that, that's what they try to do. And those are controllables. Those are ways that they can feel empowered. And then when they don't, you know, get that goal or get whatever it is that they're, that they're trying to achieve, um, it's just something that they are continuing to try for, you know, just like, a kid who's learning how to walk, you know, they don't sit on the ground and cry and say, well, that's it. I'm not trying to walk anymore. They just, they, they're going to keep going until they master it. Um, and so we need to make those skills be something that, Hey, this is just something that I'm shooting for, but the controllables, those are the ones that I'm going to get rewarded for. Um, and then we're teaching them to celebrate things that make them feel fulfilled. It's kind of like getting back to that pride of a job well done because we're celebrating, you know, the work that they put in. When we come back, Kate and I discuss why failure is feedback and not a stopping point. Welcome back. Where we left off, Kate and I were about to talk about redefining failure and empowering athletes to become an active team contributor. So there is a, you know, there's a juggling act because let's face it, I mean, there are winners, there are losers, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> You know, right. But, you know, I always find it funny because I'm a big advocate for, you know, people say participation. I'm thinking like I got trophies when I was like seven. I I think there's age appropriate stuff, but but make no mistake about it. Like I have all the audience, you know, if unless you're a first time listener knows that I have six kids and oldest is going to be 18. The youngest is four and a half. So (laughs) I mean, it's insane. But but the the point is the my eight and a half year old who's really now, you know, he's really getting into, you know, youth sports and playing everything and all of that. And from the time he's been like five or six, even though they don't really keep quote unquote score, like all the kids know the score. (laughs) Yeah, they know the score. But let me, let me just back up because I have been, I won't say accused because it sounds, it sounds rough, but it's true um, because people will straight up accuse you. Um, Accused of the trophy culture. And I will tell you that I am, um, first of all, I am obsessed with winning. Uh, <laughs> I don't like losing and I will never walk onto a field, a court, whatever. And I, I mean, I'm so competitive that I tell people if I'm sitting next to you at lunch, I'm probably competing with you in some way. Um, and, and that's just the truth. That's just the way that I function and it's what drives me. But I, I believe that if you celebrate the things that create winners, 
they will win. You know, it's the same as if you're in a business and you start pouring into your people and, you know, you start getting them to love putting in the work and collaborating and getting things done and celebrating the small things on the way. It takes care of the scoreboard. All we're doing here is we're not saying we're not striving to win. We're just saying that what we're focusing on are the behaviors that create winning teams. And so now you're winning, you know, both as someone who is getting skill and who loves it and wants to keep pursuing it. Um, but we're also winning in that we, we feel like we can really bond as a team and, and develop habits that are going to last for a lifetime. And so it's really a matter of, you know, focusing on those things, but it's not taking away from the win at all. And I guarantee you, you know, that's, um, I've never sat there and said, well, I don't really care if we, if we win. Um, you know, that, that's definitely out in the forefront. You're still putting your best players and you're still doing whatever it is that your philosophy is. I think that's really key. As far as the failure goes, though, it's really important that they see failure as, um, you know, just redefined. And it has to be talked about all the time because, the, you know, you're getting a definition from all over the place. But, you know, for us here and in, to move forward, we have to learn that failure is not a stopping point. It's feedback. It's telling us what do we need to pivot? What do we need to work harder on? That's all it is. It's feedback. And, and the only real failure, of course, is when we stop trying or when we quit. And so they need to know the difference between failure and quitting. And it's a very big difference. I love that. And to go back to the delivery piece of it. And you're, you're absolutely right. Like, now, again, if I keep telling my kids, you know, it's just funny because my son, who I was mentioning before, Rocco, who's eight and a half, he's in third grade. And if I keep telling him, it's okay to lose and yada, 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 he's going to eventually like, dad, I want to win. Like, and that's okay. However, it's the vibe that I give off. Like, I, I think there's a healthy way. And this is what I would love to know from your experiences. What are the healthy and age? Because listen, there is an age appropriate way to compete, I think, at all levels. Like, when you get to high school, like, I think it's okay that we're trying to win all the time. And playing time is awarded to those that are going to give us the best chance to win. I mean, that to me is a no brainer. Some people will argue that. And I'm like, Listen, maybe you never played competitive sports, but, <laughs> but below that middle school ages and younger, I think winning, of course, or competing, learning how to compete to win is valuable. But I also think that from a coaching standpoint, we should never sacrifice the development of the child or the athlete or the kid for the sake of trying to win a game. And that means yeah. holding a kid at one position because, you know, because it's going to give us the best odds, whereas we stick one kid in right field because that's what position everyone says is the worst in the baseball field at like nine or whatever, and because they may not be the most developed. What are the ages in which you have experience or where you think it's like age-appropriate competition where the focus is on you know, winning versus you know, just going out and having a good time? Yeah, you know, I, it's almost split into two parts for me because – Honestly, if you put me out there with five-year-olds, we're still trying to win. I promise you. <laughs> like, like, that's what we're going for. And I, I know that may not sound great for some parents, but I always want to win. Um, the point of competing is to create a winner. And it's to try to come out on top. But you're not competing if you're both just trying to, like, you know, if you're volleying, that's a warm up. <laughs> you know, like we're playing a game. Let's make this a game. Let's teach them this is competition. Competition is hard. It's challenging. It's supposed to be fun to be challenged. So, number one is if you're not making this fun, you are teaching them already to think negatively about the competition, which creates a whole lifelong of stress, right? Competing is fun. You should celebrate it. If you lose, 
your reaction to losing should be to turn it around and move forward. But you're never before the loss going, it's okay if we lose, guys. Let's just have a good time. You're still going, let's do the best we can. Let's leave everything out there. Let's really push ourselves. But my challenge for coaches is at certain ages, really at all ages, but especially at the younger ages, your job is to take what is in front of you because we're all, you know, not many of us get to go out there with a big budget and recruit, right, for our, our 10-year-olds, whatever they're doing. Um, your job is to take what's in front of you, find a role for everybody on the team and encourage them in that role and give them an opportunity to contribute. You know, that's the key. Everyone should feel like a contributor. It shouldn't be, hey, you're not ready to contribute because that makes you feel like you're not a part of it. So it's challenging, but there's going to be kids who it feels like they can't do anything. I mean, I've had athletes who on offense, you know, when we're playing a lacrosse game, playing soccer or something, you know, they have no stick skills, no ball handling skills. And so their job is to become the person right next to the person with the ball. And they're the first cut to make a hole so that, um, you know, the person driving can get to the net. And, and that's their role. And we encourage them to be really good at it. And, you know, we let people try all of the positions and, you know, learn about all the positions because that's part of development. But when we're competing and we need to get a goal, they have a contribution that we get to celebrate later. I have a place that I can put them that they've worked on. Um, but I'm clarifying, you know, I still they're still trying all the positions. They're still doing all that. But, hey, we need a quick goal. Let's go into that setup. And you're so good at punching that first hole. That's what your job's going to be. Everyone should be able to celebrate on the other side. I freaking love that. Like find a way for each person to be a contributor because at the end of the day, that's how you feel a part of a team. And and, and especially when you're dealing with young kids, you, to your point, you know, you may have a kid on your team who is a quote unquote all-star and then you may have a kid that's his or her first time playing that sport. So there's a massive difference, but you can, yes. I, I always kind of say like, don't judge me, you know, by how our win-loss record is if I'm coaching nine-year-olds. Judge me by how that kid who's its first time, his or her first time playing the sport, and see how their growth is. Or that's how I judge myself throughout the season. Like, did each person get better? And I think when you break it down from how can I help this person be a contributor, man, that's powerful stuff. You know, take a look at practice because, you know, you touched on something really important. And as someone who coached a sport in developing areas, a huge challenge that I would have was we'd have these kids that played all year long and knew the sport up and down and had great stick work playing with kids who it was literally their first day. Yeah. And how do you run a drill with that? Because, you know, especially when you're, you know, Hey, we're going into competition in a week. I had first time players. I had first time players on division two college team. That was interesting. I had first time players, you know, in high school playing varsity and we had a game the next week. And so I can't say, well, I guess you can't do any of these drills because typically we're doing a shooting drill. You're going to receive a pass and then you're going to shoot. Well, if you can't catch yet, then what do you do? I guess, you, you know, you start with the ball, like it's not realistic. You know, they're kind of feel like useless in the drill. So I started instituting high low. So before they started, the person passing the ball um, would wait until they would tell them point up or down. And that just meant I'd like to receive it in the air. Or I'd like you to roll it to me. And so if they don't know how to catch yet, they would pick up the ground ball and they would shoot. But they were still participating in the drill. Um, they were still working on the main aspect, which was shooting. But they were also getting the added benefit of asking for the ball and being able to pick it up themselves. So a adjusting a drill in a way where everybody can do the objective, but it's fit to their level is really, really key. Nobody wants to sit out of practice or feel like I'm not good enough for this. 
I love it. Coach Lavelle, I know that you do keynote speaking. You're a, I mean, you do a ton of work. Where can people find you? You know, let us know because I know there's a lot of people that are going to want to follow up and connect with you. Where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my email, uh, or actually my website is the easiest way. So just katelavelle.com. And uh, it's really easy to remember my last name because it's like leave <laughs> with two L's on the end. <laughs> like get out of here. So um, yeah, that's probably the easiest way. Shoot me an email. And I love coming out and uh, talking to teams, talking to coaches associations. I worked with a lot of universities and, and a lot of athletes as well. And, and I do workshops with them. So they're really fun. Definitely connect with Kate. She is a wealth of knowledge. She has seen it from every aspect, like she said, as a college coach, sports parent, author, everything in between. Coach, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. This has been freaking awesome. We'll follow up again, but um, thanks for coming on and sharing your passion. It's obvious it, it comes through you and there's a lot of gold in there. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you so much. That's Kate Lavelle, best-selling author, consultant, and keynote speaker. Thanks for listening to the Reform Sports Project podcast. I'm Nick Bonacor, and our goal is to restore a healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. For updates, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our website by searching for the Reform Sports Project.